It is ball. He is ESPN's Tom Lugabille. I'm Ryan Brown. We thank you for joining us. The show presented by MyBookie, mybookie.ag, code next round. They will give you a sign-on deposit match up to $1,000 when you use code next round. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with mybookie.ag. Lugs, what is up? How are you? I am good, man. We, I guess we got the chaos that we had been looking for. We just didn't get it in-game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, who, who knew the chaos was going to be on a Sunday morning uh, in some boardroom in Grapevine, Texas, oh. but that's exactly where it went down. Uh, we are going to get to that because some people are upset, but let's start with uh, what happened on the field, Alabama beating Georgia. Um, first of all, I mean, look, this was a, at my book, I think he five and a half point spread. So this is not like some massive upset, but when a team is going for win number 30 in a row, anytime yeah. they lose. It's going to be a bit of a surprise. Yeah, and, I, and I've had some people say to me, well, I didn't think like either team looked all that great. I said, that's because they're both playing each other. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the thing. I said, can you imagine for one second? I said, just close your eyes and imagine, just imagine Georgia having played Louisville on that same field on Saturday. Oh, 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 oh. All right? Yeah, so yeah. you've got to have a healthy respect for the challenges in-game, playing and play out when the, the talent across the board is so like equaled out. And, and, and so the margin of error for every little mistake and every little thing that happens, like you looked at that first drive from George, it looked like a hot knife through butter. You're going, Clinical. oh boy, right? Yep. And then what does Alabama do? They line right back up and say, all right, you know, it's a long game. Don't look at the scoreboard. Let's just play the next play. Off we go. And so I thought it was a true, like, knockdown, drag him out against behemoths. I felt like I was watching. I actually tweeted this. I felt like I was watching a playoff game, if not the national you championship are. game, yeah. in that contest. And unfortunately, sometimes when you have those types of games, the general public, when it comes to making that decision of the top four, will say, you had your playoff game. Yeah. That was it. That, 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 that was it. And we're like, yeah, but that might have been the two best teams in the country already. Yeah. You know, so, you know, everybody looks at it a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, sometimes the two best teams in the NFL play in the NFC Championship game, you know? And yeah. uh, so so it, it happens in sports, but it did turn out you were watching a quarterfinal game. I mean, I think that was no, uh, no. was a quarterfinal game. Um, so I saw Nick Saban. He was on the set uh, on the SEC Network with a couple of your colleagues, Roman Harper and Tim Tebow. And Harp asked him about what you just talked about. Like, you know, they went right down the field on you. What adjustment did you make? So... I was hopeful maybe you could boil this down for idiots like me. His answer was, we didn't think we could stop the run unless we were in an odd front. But then their motions really put us in a tough spot because of that defense. So after that first drive, I just said, hey, guys, let's go to a 40 and play split safeties, and we'll just get the pass rush with four people. After that, I saw Cole Kublik of the SEC Network tweet in his his tape study. They never rushed. Uh, they rushed five like only one time after that. So. Can you kind of boil it down for idiots like us what that adjustment by Nick Saban and Kevin Steele and T-Rob meant? So when, when you talk about a three-man front, an odd front, you're going to have the center covered up, and generally that's going to take a big, big body. I think that might have been Tim Keenan would have been the biggest body in there. And you're, you're requiring that guy to occupy both the center and then one of the guards. He's what's called a two-gapper. He's responsible for two gaps. One A-gap to one side, one A-gap. Those are the, That's the inside gap on either side of the center. And the hope is that, and what Nick Saban was saying, is we didn't think we could stop the run because what they didn't want to have happen was have their blockers to get up to the second level. 
right? And they wanted to be able to feel like we can get our, our linebackers roam free. But then what happened was, is it thinned them out in the box with the shifts and the motion. So the other players behind us, strong safety, all right, uh, maybe your weak side linebacker, those guys, they went from being in the box to being widened out of the box because yeah, specifically, of the- Yeah, specifically Dallas Turner. That was his point. Now all yeah. of a sudden Dallas Turner's out in the slot and yep. he's doing nothing. Uh, I shouldn't say he's doing nothing. No, he's an exceptional but, player, but he's, yes. he's not doing what you want him to do out there. They, they put him in no man's land, right? Yeah, so they yeah. said, all right, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to line up. We'll be in a what's an over and un, uh, over and under front, which is the two tackles are going to shift over a gap in the shade one way to the other, usually to the field of the boundary. And then just say, we're as good as you are, if not better. And And this is, I think this is a thing. Every coach in America will tell you, like the goal is to control the line of scrimmage with four and manage the box with no more than six. If we can do that, we're probably going to win the game. The problem yeah. is there's very few people with the personnel that can do that. Alabama happens to be a team that can do that. And um, I, you know, I thought they did just a really nice job of just keep playing. Like there was some of those plays, like they were gas plays. It, it looked easy, and you're not used to seeing that against against Alabama. And so to see that defensive adjustment, see them to go right back into a four man front, just shows like it also shows not only your your scheme versatility, but your players and their ability to adjust on the fly and go from a completely different style of front with completely different gap responsibilities to an entirely different one one series later. And yeah. uh, the execution was really good. And, and it was a perfect game plan in that first possession by Mike Bobo in the Georgia offense to basically magnify that. I don't know if I call it a mistake, but magnify that that decision that wasn't working. And you do have to wonder if Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp and Glenn Schumann, who know Nick Saban awful well, probably, yeah. probably looked at their team and said, how would I defend my team? Because that's probably how Nick Saban is going to defend my team, right? Yeah, and knowing full well that your quarterback's not a runner. Yeah. So they're probably figuring, all right, Coach Saban probably believes they're talented enough not have to bring somebody else down in the box. Whereas Georgia at times had to bring somebody else down into the box because of the quarterback. We talked about that yep. all last week. And you know, and you got to credit too, like there was there was a moment on there. If you remember the little rub wheel route that Georgia threw on the touchdown, if you looked at who the defender was in the game, it was a freshman linebacker. And the moment they realized he gave them the game. They went right after him. I mean, they 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 literally targeted him, and it and it worked. And again, you know, those are those little things where when you're always looking at coaching staff on each sideline, they're always peeking over to the other side. They're seeing who's the personnel grouping, who is in the game, who's subbing in and out, um, because they've targeted guys. They know that hey, if this guy's in there, we may have this. If this guy comes off the field, let's go to this. And that was a great uh, example of execution on behalf of Georgia there. And they did that later in the game, Georgia did, when Kool-Aid McKinstry went out of the game, Trey Amos comes in, and wouldn't you know, at first play, who does Trey Amos get manned up on? Brock <laughs> Bowers, right? Yeah. Hey, and, and you go back and watch the play, Lugs, Beck never takes his eyes off Bowers. No. And Amos is on him like a blanket. He knocks did it really the, well. Yes, knocks the pass away. That's normally a touchdown right there, and Georgia had to settle for three. I mean, it's just little – you know, football is a game of a bunch of little plays stacked on top of one another. And in, in, in the grand scheme of things, in a what ended up a three-point play a game, that ends up being a massive play by Trey Amos. Yeah, it was a huge play. And you're right. I mean, the, the windows shrink, right? The margin of error just yep. narrows there. And, 
And, you know, like there was a play, it was, it was third and four. It was the drive late in the game where Alabama went right down the field. And Jalen Milrow had to make a play. He ends up hitting Isaiah Bond on the little drive underneath crossing route. But Jalen, if you look at it from the upper sideline copy, Jalen's moving towards the line of scrimmage. He's got to throw that ball, but he can't throw it like naturally. He had to almost push the ball, yep. if you remember yep. that, on third and four. And he nails Isaiah Bond. He turns a corner. That throw, I didn't think the broadcast made enough of that throw and how hard it was because of the window it had to get through, how accurate it was. That was that drive, that drive in itself right there was one of the more impressive drives I've seen from Alabama all year long. Yeah, because you know, you're you've still got the lead, you've controlled that game, and you know, you're kind of caught in that no man's land of do I come out and try to grind clock and pick up a few first downs, or do I stay in my game plan? And try to get points and burn time, and you know that's a gamble. You 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 stay in that game plan and go three and out, give Georgia the ball back. You could easily be behind the next time you see the football. Uh, but to Tommy Reese and Nick Saban's credit, they said this is the guy that's gotten us here. We're mm-hmm. going to put the game in Jalen Milrose's hands for these last what was that eight minutes or whatever it was. Oh yeah. And and, and hey, Jalen Milrose did not make a bad play that entire last eight minutes. You put the game in his hands, and he delivered every time. And here's the beauty of it, too, and it gets glossed over sometimes, but when you have the lead and you have the ability to be balanced, the new clock rules really help you. Yeah. Because you can talk to your – you can make sure that, for the most part, you put yourself in a position, all right, well, if you get a first down, the clock's not stopping, move the chain. That's right. Yeah, bounds, the clock's not stopping. So you can ensure, for the most part, that unless they want to stop the clock or you throw an incomplete pass, that clock's rolling. Yep. And so it's kind of I think that's kind of changed the mindset too is hey, keep the ball between the numbers guys. Get down and we'll let that 40 second clock just keep going and going and going right. and going and that's the, that's a different world than what we were living in even just a year ago. And Milro showed that by the way and this shows his development as quarterback. Now I don't think it was necessary because it was outside of 2 minutes, but on that long run you saw him get down in the field of play. In the field of play. Yeah, and it just shows you even though if that might not have been necessary He's still thinking that, though. He's thinking through the game. And that's just – I mean, you've seen the development of him play quarterback, but that shows you the mental development of him playing quarterback on this level. Probably would not have had the awareness to do that six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, whatever whatever you want to say. And so, um, listen, I thought it was a game for the ages. And and I I think the one thing, too, that we're not talking about enough here, Ryan, is, listen – you. We can discuss Alabama versus Florida State, which, by the way, is not Alabama's fault. No, if Georgia beats Alabama. It's the I same agree. discussion with Florida State and Texas. I agree the exact completely. Same discussion. Yeah. Okay, I've had so, I've had people say that we're wrong about that, but I agree no, with you 100. I think it's, Texas is going to be the exact same yep. thing. So yep. you you have that component to it. Um, but we're also talking about dude, what's more egregious: Florida State not making the college football playoff, or Georgia going from one to six. Well, I mean, it, it. Remember, TCU lost. I know Kansas State yep. and State. Yep. yep. I, I I think that committee they tie, they tie themselves in knots with everything they say, mm-hmm. and they could say all they want. We want the four best teams in America, and I think that's the way they did it when it comes to Alabama and Florida State. I think almost anybody would tell you who's the better team. Let's let's take let's take emotion out of this. Let's take the Travis injury, all that. Let's let's. Let's hide the emotion. Who do you think is the best team? And right. if people will step back from emotion, most people are going to say, Alabama's the better team. Okay. Yeah. But 
they say that, but then they're like, okay, well, if the four best teams include two SEC teams and one of them's not a champion, we we can't jump Texas and Florida State. State. We can't leave uh, out two conference champions. So it's not really the four best teams. I agree with you. Four best teams. No, I and agree that's, with you. And that's, Ryan, that's another and – I, and, I, and I said this to, to Jim Dunaway too. I said, I wonder if the committee looks back and regrets using that language as yep. like their mantra. Yeah. Because – all that does is lead to more debate about the eye test and the analytics and whether you are undefeated or have one loss or two loss or whether you want a conference championship or not. I mean, you already made it impossible by including five power five conferences with only four spots. Right. Right. Can you it, imagine if this was six playoff teams with the top two seeds and a bye and the other four play? No. The perfect scenario. No, it'd be amazing. It'd be amazing. There would be nobody would be upset. Nope. Nope. And, and, you know, this is so typical of college football. This has never been an issue. Never been an issue. You had the Baylor-TCU mess. That was on the Big 12. They tried to yeah. game the system. Oh, yeah, this, and they didn't have a championship game. That's right. Yeah, and yeah, and so this has never been an issue until the very last time, right? I mean, they almost made it. And then any issue, now college football has cleaned itself up somehow by the elimination of the Pac-12. Now you've got four spots, four champions next year. Nobody ever discusses this again. This is the last time we'll ever have this discussion about it. Because all the four champions are locked into the top four seeds. It's all about seeding after that. Yeah, and, I, and I'll tell you, it's a shame because you can go back many, many moons ago to 1993 and it's the exact same thing happened to Florida State. Oh, it did. Only it they did. got in yep. and yep. West Virginia didn't. Yep, because they were the name brand program. I mean, Florida State oh, sure. Miami were the name brand programs in college football. And their schedule and that, was better. They, I mean, they, they, yeah. they played more. Yeah. And I get it, but it was the same exact thing. An undefeated versus a one loss. Yeah, and just the roles are being reversed. All right, this is Ball with ESPN's Tom Lukabels, presented by MyBookie.ag. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie.ag. When you use code Next Round and making your initial deposit, they're going to give you a deposit match up to one thousand dollars using code Next Round at MyBookie.ag. Also, Manscaped.com, great gift giving idea is Manscaped. This is the handyman, great travel razor. When you're on the road like Lukabel is all the time, <laughs> you could use a travel razor like the handyman. They've got the lawnmower, which takes care of the entire body, including the undercarriage. The weed whacker takes care of the nose hair and ear hair. The beard hedger. They've got great boxer shorts, male body products, all there at manscaped.com. And because you're watching ball, you can use my last name, code BROWN20, that is BROWN20, and save 20% off your order at manscaped.com. Great gift idea this season is manscaped.com. All right, let's just touch on the uh, two playoff games real quick. Bama, Michigan. Um when you look at these two teams, uh, they both like to lay uh, play physical line of scrimmage football. Oh, yeah. Alabama has thrown the ball a little bit more of late than Michigan has. Yes, and I think the one thing that is glaring to me with how down the Big Ten was, and I tried to go through like all of the teams, none of the opponents of Michigan this year had a dynamic nightmare that can run the ball at quarterback. That's it. You're right. No, I mean the, the the best, probably the best running quarterback they faced was Talia Tunga Valoa, Kyle McCord. Yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. And he's not like he's a he can run because he can run. Yeah, but he's not a hey we're going to design quarterback That's counter right. and quarterback lead and zone read and blah blah blah. So with this guy, you're going to have to prepare for that. And the good news is you have a month to do it, right? Kind of like preparing for a triple option team because there yeah. are some option principles in that. Um, and you have to deal with the creative plays that happen when when things break down. Like I, I, I would be very interested to see 
if Alabama, because I, I think I think that's kind of the game within the game. Alabama's defensive front seven, that offensive line, and the the want to run the football religiously, something's got to give there, right? Yeah. And if somehow Alabama is able to come up with some plays and force Michigan to have to win the game another way, can they do it? That's what, that's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, I just with my own two eyes saw Alabama hold Georgia to seventy eight rush yards. So, yeah. I mean, that that seems to be an uphill climb to play that same game plan against Alabama that you tried to use it, that you successfully used against Penn State and to an extent tried to use against Ohio State. Just don't know that you can do that against Alabama's defense. I mean, are, does anybody think you're going to run the ball against Alabama 29 straight times? No, no. no not, I, I just, not, I just, you can, but you're not going to win. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't think so. I, and, and, you know, they're such a heavy play-action team off of the success of the run game. What happens if Michigan all of a sudden – becomes a drop back team yeah. or is having to throw it and maybe they're having to throw it on early downs because they can't run it. And I'm not saying all the time, but more than they become accustomed to, how do they respond to that? Yeah. All right. Washington, Texas, this Washington team Lugs, is a team that had seemed to be playing on thin ice, but they happened to play what might be their best game of the season yeah. Saturday night or Friday night, excuse me, uh, against Oregon. Um, I tell you, I would not have liked Washington versus Texas um, for about the last five weeks. <laughs> but, but but that Washington team I saw Friday night is an inter- that is a much more difficult matchup than what they have looked like of late. You know, and they've been able to really run the football effectively over the last half of the season, yeah. which it has, I mean, the performance on the ground versus USC, I mean, I don't know what that's saying, but they're, they're still running the football, uh, the ability to run the football Friday night. Um, it, it just seemed like all of the talk about or- Oregon being on this upward trajectory and, you know, Washington kind of being parallel. Everybody was talking about it and everybody was listening to it, except for the University of Washington. They just went out and kind of did their business and took care of uh, what they needed to take care of. And to me, that that game is going to be all about whether, whether Washington can handle the, the Texas defensive front seven. I mean, Texas is so good up front. They don't give an inch um, in the run game. They get off the field in third down. Um, if there is a weakness or a criticism, maybe it's not even a weakness, but maybe it's an area that hasn't quite yet been exposed, but at times has shown some cracks in the foundation. It's the two corners on the outside because they've had some injuries there. They've had to play some safety over there and they've had to play a freshman and Malik Muhammad. The safeties down the middle for in the down the middle of the of the defense overall for for Texas is really really strong. So, you know, te- Washington is so accustomed to just making the downfield throw look easy. Yeah. Will that be easy against this group if he's got people in his face, if they're coming after him? I mean, I my whole take on this, I think I said it to you uh last week or maybe the week before with Washington. Why wouldn't you do everything you can to force him to throw the ball in me? Just don't let him throw it down. And if he does, yeah. he's going to be making a bad choice and an errant throw, and it's probably going to end up in a turnover and incompletion. But if you just force him to do what he really doesn't want to do, because I think he's so prolific and talented at throwing the ball downfield, I don't think he wants to do that. You can frustrate him by taking that away. You're either going to sack him or he won't get to the check down fast enough because he doesn't want it. All right, the portal door has opened. We'll talk about a few quarterbacks in the portal and what Luca Bell thinks of them oh. on the free agent. We're not going to hit the whole portal. Don't worry, because it is <laughs> packed. We're just going to hit the quarterbacks. There are a few that I want to ask Luca Bell about in just a few moments and where they might fit in somewhere. 
Uh, let's, though, remind you that the show is presented by MyBookie.ag. Code next round when you sign on at MyBookie.ag. You will get that initial sign-on deposit match up to $1,000 when you use code next round at MyBookie.ag. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie.ag. Also, don't forget apparel provided by Roback.com. Roback.com, code TNR20 on your initial purchase, and you get 20% off your initial purchase at Roback.com. Great gift idea as well with the softest hoodies you will ever see. Uh, they've got amazing quarter zips, the golf shirts, the pants, everything right there at Roback Crewnecks, new Crewneck sweatshirts. Roback.com, code TNR20 for 20% off your first purchase at Roback.com. All right, three quarterbacks I want to ask you about in the portal. Let's start uh, with the obvious one. Kyle McCord at Ohio State. They're getting ready to play in a New York Six Bowl yeah. against uh, Missouri. Kyle McCord's in the portal. Um, that tells you that Ryan Day has a plan in place, you think? Boy, I, I would hope so. Not just a plan in place, you know, now, but heading into January and February and March and spring ball, um, they've got a, a young man um, out of high school out of the state of Georgia um, who uh, is coming in in Air Prentice. Uh, he, he's going to be a really good player, but I don't know if you want to hang your hat on a true freshman. Obviously, you've got Devin Brown there that they kind of went back and forth on a little bit early on. I'm, I'm wondering if this is a little bit of a, a mutual friction between Kyle McCord and and Ryan Day and, you know, the discussion going forward, am I your guy? And if the answer to that very blunt conversation was, if you win the job, yeah, but things we are going to compete here at quarterback. And there's probably a bit of Kyle McCord, and I don't know if I'd blame him all that much, that probably feels slighted and underappreciated. I mean, if you look at what he did, I mean, every single week, he took massive scrutiny. Yeah, They were winning and there were times where he actually played really, really well. And he statistically, for a first-year starter, a lot of teams would look at that and say, boy, what a, what a good year. That's a foundation to build on. And I'm wondering if there's a part of him that's like, I'm out of here, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to go somewhere else. But I get the feeling that Ryan Day was not just going to tell him, this is your car drive. Right. Um, is there a place you could see him fitting in? What type of offense? Because he wasn't always dynamic in the Ohio State no. offense. Um, is there a place... You could see him going? Going, I, I don't know where you I, – I think that what he does have, though, is he's your classic prototypical pocket passer. So yeah. he fits into the West Coast. He fits into a variation okay. of a multiple pro style. We've seen him play in an RPO heavy offense and shotgun-based offense at Ohio State. So there won't be any shortage, I think, of, of destinations. Um, the question that people will ask is what happened, what went wrong, is this a problem? Is this a problem with the player? Do we need to invest here? How much should we investigate to this? What is our current situation? Does he make it that much better if we if we take a flyer and and and, and you know take a risk on it? So that there's so many dynamics and layers to this, like Ryan, that are that are so with with, with a lot of questions that may never actually be answered before you get the guy. Yeah, you mentioned you don't know if you want to put your uh, season in the hands of a true freshman like that. You know when you really don't want to do that. When you've lost three straight games to Michigan, uh, you haven't won the Big Ten championship in several years, and Michigan is in the college football playoff regularly, and you're the Ohio State coach. That's when you would not want to do that. I'm not saying Ryan Day will be on a hot seat. Uh, I am saying uh, his fan base will not put up with losing to Michigan and not making the college football playoff and not winning the Big Ten very long. And will you go to a freshman quarterback and you make that four straight years, it's going to get tricky for him then. What if it's somebody – what if Ohio State, though, is just making a swap? 
and they're looking at maybe a Cam Ward, somebody maybe a little more athletic, somebody that's. Here's here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna tease. I'm gonna tease. I'm gonna tease Spitting Luke's with Lance Taylor, and I will I will I will buy you a Diet Coke next time around you, or a Bud Light, or a Michelob Ultra, or whatever. I'll buy you one of those if Lance doesn't ask you about Cam Ward going to Ohio State. <laughs> so, okay. so we'll keep it right there. Uh, let's talk about Dylan Gabriel. A lot of people think he might follow Jeff Levy to Mississippi State, but he is himself in the portal. What does Dylan Gabriel have left? Would it? Yeah, I mean, if if he's comfortable with Jeff Levy, is that is that is that a good match there at Mississippi State? I think it would be a great bridge player. Yeah. You know, as they get entrenched in the first year, uh, lay down the blueprint to have a quarterback that knows the ins and outs of it. Um, he actually, I think, he proved his worth as a Power Five player this fall. I thought last year. He kind of looked, all right, this is a group of five talent that's playing at the Power Five level. I don't know. I thought he really elevated his play. Um, that would make so much sense given that Will Rogers has moved in to the transfer portal. And, again, a, 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 kind of like a gap year where you're just trying to say, okay, offensively we need to be the best that we could be. There's an opportunity here. It's just there, there's too many boxes that could check there that would make that make sense. And on top of it, Oklahoma's really excited about Jackson Arnold. Like. That's that's one of those deals where Oklahoma, of course, you'd hate to lose that type of experience. They are really high on Jackson Arnold. Yeah, and but now if I'm Ohio State, I'm about to play Missouri, who's probably going to be at full strength. I mean, Cook oh, yeah. and Schrader and Burden, they will all probably play in this game, and I'm going to be without McCord. If I'm Oklahoma, I'm playing my bowl game without Dylan Gabriel. I mean, I know, I know you got to have dates for this kind of stuff, but boy, that is, that's tricky for Brent Venables and Ryan Day to, to have – I guess in a sense it's a good thing because, well, maybe not for Ohio State if you're going freshman, but if you've got the kid that they like so much at Oklahoma, now I get a full month of snaps for him and get him some game yeah. action. I would think that Oklahoma feels much better about yeah. the set of circumstances than, yeah. say, an Ohio State does. And and you're right. You know, the, the timing of the portal and National Signing Day and bowl season and all these things swirling around at the same time, make for a very muddy preparation of the month of December to try and be at your best as a football team, right? I mean, the, the goal is to make a bowl game and, and to win that bowl game and then go off into the offseason feeling really good about things. And you may find yourself a week away from championship weekend or the end of the regular season for whoever you may be, and you think you have a team that's going into the bowl season, and it may not be that team at all. Yeah. Are we really going to keep this first national signing day the, in this close proximity to the first round of the college football playoffs next year? I mean, that is an insane thing to do. It's an insane thing to do, but I would also make the argument, and they did reduce it. I just don't think they've reduced it enough. Um, you could do the tr- – think about how many people announced they were going in the transfer portal in the last 10 days. Didn't even open until today. Yeah, right? right, right. So open the transfer portal for a week. Get it over with before, let's just say, this next Sunday. Then at least that part of it's done. So you're not right. dealing with that anymore. And you know what? If you've been tampered with, you already know where you're going. If you haven't been tampered with and you go into the portal, trust me, you're going to know what your value is pretty quickly. Yeah. The phone's going to ring or it's not going to ring. And you're going to know that there's going to be some options or not. And and so, but yeah, the, the signing day thing is, is tough. And it's interesting too. You mentioned signing day because, you know, for the first time since the portal really opened, and we had the one-time transfer rule and all those things in the COVID year. 
We have more kids verbally committed leading up to December 20th out of the SPN 300 than ever in the last 19 years. And it's not wow. even close. We have less than 20 players that have yet to make the verbal commitment because those players know that the scholarships are diminishing. Yeah. And if you have one and it's legitimate, don't play around with it. And it's gonna, you're going to end up without one. But it's so wild. I can remember the February signing day, people taking off work and oh, yeah. we did a having a 12 hour live show. Yeah, watch parties. And it's it's almost a forgotten day now. I mean, it barely yeah. even exists in college football anymore. Uh, oh, I know. I mean, think about it. You By the time you get to that point, the first signing period's done, the transfer portal's yep. done, the bowl season done. It's just who's lingering out there, right? That's right. Like who, yeah. Who, who's left? And, and you know what? Do we even have a scholarship to, to take them? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, you better be, you better be in Lugabill's top twenty if you're going to yeah, wait that. Exactly. Long. Yeah, there are yeah. very there's a small percentage of players that can yeah. juggle a bunch of schools right now. Everybody else, don't don't mess around. All right, it is ball with ESPN's Tom Lugabill. We thank you for uh, joining us and supporting our sponsors, MyBookie.ag. Code next round when you sign on at MyBookie.ag and get that deposit match up to one thousand dollars. Also, Manscaped.com, great products like the Handyman and many others at Manscaped.com. Code BROWN20 to save 20% off your order there, your initial order at manscaped.com. And rollback.com, code TNR20. Also get all your plays at lanceslock.com. All right, Lugs, uh, we enjoyed it, man. We'll talk to you again next week. You bet. Thanks, buddy.